Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer. Well, welcome back, everybody, for a really special two-part series of Tech Whispers. The first time we've ever done that. And you're going to learn why here quickly, because no one's had a greater impact on our profession than Charlie Feld. He is a true industry legend. And you know, I would say he's a giant amongst giants. Decades ago, Charlie helped shape the CIO role back when it didn't exist. I mean, we think that's always been around, but it hasn't. And Charlie uh, was was instrumental in changing the narrative about, about technology, how we as business leaders think about and leverage technology. And he is credited with transforming not just companies, but entire industries. I've known Charlie since the 80s. That's the 1980s, Charlie. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we started, we were like very young kids. And uh, But you've always been an amazing teacher, a coach, a mentor at your core, and I just want to give people a heads up. There are going to be so many Charlieisms, so many of these great expressions. Take notes because these are gold. And Charlie, it's just an honor. Thank you so much to you for making the time, for sharing your wisdom, your experience, your battle scars. And I can't tell you what a joy it is to call you friend. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been a great ride and it's not over. Uh it's really just getting interesting after 55 years of being at this. So uh, anything I can do to contribute, connect the body of knowledge that got built over the years, how we got to where we are, that could help the next generation of leaders because they're going to have an exciting next decade or two to really transform the way we live, the way we shop, the way we take care of ourselves, health, care. Every industry is going to be massively impacted. So I'm excited to help in any way I can. You are in, in more and bigger ways than ever. The thought leadership, you and your team continue to put out new book coming out. We'll talk about that. Some of the recent blogs that you've posted, the writings, just it's just incredible leadership nuggets. And so nobody has built a leadership playbook over the years like you have, Charlie. And it's based on decades of transformations. I mean, some of us have experience with a transformation or two, but you've looked at across industries, many companies, and so a lot of ground to cover. And that is why we're dedicating for the first time two episodes, because just too much to cover. So thank you for, for your patience. And I want to jump into the deep end of the pool with a meaty question from somebody who knows you very well, a good friend of both of ours. So let's start there and let's play his question and then uh, tell us who this is and then let's dive into the question. Hi, Dan, and thank you for the opportunity to provide a question to Charlie Feld. You know, Charlie is one of my long-term heroes, mentors, and very close friend in this industry. And so this is an honor. So Charlie, one can easily argue that you've seen nearly everything in more than 50 years 
in this industry, but really in this industry of leading technology-driven business transformations. So with that as a very unique perspective, what would you say or do you think is better or easier today when leading technology-driven transformation? And really, what's more difficult or more challenging than what you've traditionally seen? Yeah, great question, Ken. Uh, Ken is absolutely one of the premier CIOs that I've ever worked with in terms of having the technical skills to pull off, but also pull off the work, but also tremendous at envisioning what needs to happen. And that that's what's kind of a little bit different now than it was 55 years ago when I started. And, you know, 55 years, I feel like I've had the best seat in the house. And, you know, part of it has been watching the technology expand as Moore's Law, this doubling effect uh, took place from the time it took long-haul trucks to put a computer in to a uh, data center to now where, you know, it fits on a chip in a pocket in a car. Uh, And if you understood that one thing, you would understand the pattern that happened over the last 55 years and what makes something easier, better to do now, but other things are harder to do now versus when I first got started. Uh, When I first got started, I was able to have great conversations with business leaders because business was much slower paced. There was no email. People actually had hours in a day to sit and talk to each other, to learn about each other. And one of the leaders that I got to spend time with was Herman Lay, uh, who was the founder of Frito-Lay. And, you know, one of the things that we were struggling with back in the 70s and 80s was we could think of all these great things to go do, but the technology just wasn't there to go do them. (laughs) Right. 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 We were looking to put handhelds on route trucks. We figured out what we needed to do, but it was impossible. And that's when I met Gordon Moore and Andy Grove. And we talked about how this was going to be available in 20 years, but I didn't have 20 years. You know, what Herman's advice to me was figure out what you what you need to go do and then figure out how to do it. Don't try to mix the two of those things. Come forward 50 years or so. Anything you could imagine you can do because of the technology is there. The problem is people don't have time to imagine. People don't have time to think. You know, we used to have think signs all over IBM and, you know, people don't even know what that was, but Watson felt a good leader takes time to think, not just constantly doing. And as I look at the landscape today, you can't work more than 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day, six days a week, right? And everything's on Zoom and you're just trying to catch your breath, let alone be able to step back and imagine so the, the, the juxtapose of 50 years ago, when we had time to imagine and think about solutions and creative ways of solving business problems, we didn't have the technology. Now we have the technology, but we don't have the time to step back or the runway to implement a lot of these things. And that's what really makes it difficult for this next generation leader. Really great context, Charlie. And uh 
I also want to give a shout out Ken Spangler at FedEx. And uh, we had him on the show a while back. Just phenomenal, phenomenal leader and does take the time to think. You know, I know that you uh, collaborate quite a lot. So thank you, Ken, for that. You know, Charlie, kind of building on what we just shared, what do you think is the, the major challenge confronting folks? So you talked about the time issue, but, you know, on the macro level, what do you think is challenging them today? Well, I think that over the last 40 years, you know, we're, we're a very young profession. When you compare IT to manufacturing, sales, finance and accounting, those professions have been around for centuries. We've been around for decades, but we've come front and center and we didn't know what this journey was going to look like 50 years ago. And you can see the piling up of every decade going from mainframes to mid-tiers to client-server to the web and now to IoT. It's all exciting, but we built layers of technology that looked like an archeological find in most companies because the way we came to this was one idea at a time, one project at a time, one decade at a time. And we kept building new and additional business capabilities, but didn't go back and retire the old. It's like if you have a fleet of planes and you have all the 727s that were bought 50 years ago and all the DC-10s and, and now you're buying triple sevens and right? But you're not getting rid of anything. <laughs> your, your fleet is getting bloated and it's very complex to maintain and support the old stuff. So I would say the biggest issue that most companies and leaders are up against is not what's possible to go build, but how do you build in a city that is got monolithic legacy systems that have been added to over the years? So, you know, we've got to dig in and finally retire. And a lot of people are doing that. It's just very painful, very slow, very methodical, because you still need to run the businesses every day. Great shout out to the Boeing company right there with those uh, those amazing products they build. Our friend Ted Colbert, who you know very well, and the amazing CIO to CEO story. And Charlie, I've, I've often heard you say, I think you you this quote encapsulates what you just said very well. No one ever set out to create an incredibly complex, bulky, costly, and inefficient technology mosaic with lots of components that aren't able to communicate with each other. Yet that's what most companies have ended up with today. And you talk about, it's not just costs, right? There's other, other factors here. And you also talk, Charlie, about the nature of change has changed. Yeah, I think the complexity that we've built has multiple dimensions to it. And, and you know, one dimension is obviously the cost keeps piling up because very little was retired and we keep adding to it, right? So not unusual to see a mainframe, a mid-tier client server, web layers, and you know that's complexity. The bigger issue that we're dealing with now is since the mobility, since the iPhone, you know, the smartphone came about, this whole connected world 
has really pushed the nature of change, right, from decades where something new would come out and we would work on it, right, to years to months now, post-COVID, as things are speeding up. And, you know, the speed of our ability to respond is now more damaging to the PL than the cost of the base IT. So we've got multiple outcomes that we've got to get over the next five to seven years. And I think that's about the time frame. And, you know, there are no more mulligans here. We can't get started and stop because the world is speeding up so rapidly. And if you're not agile and flexible, right, in your business model, you're not going to be able to compete, but you can't be agile and flexible in your business applications if your technology infrastructure is rigid. So we've got to get not just the business outcomes, which I think we've been very successful doing over the last five decades, but with this time we've got to get the architectural outcomes by decoupling and layering and building platforms that are built to last because they're built for change. And we've got to get the productivity out of our developers because there is a war for talent. You can't throw money in people at this problem. All outcomes, business, architectural, and productivity need to be part of this next five to seven years in most companies. Mm. Now, Charlie, as you're talking, it makes me think the savvy IT leaders, CIOs, business leaders that I know, that you know, what keeps them up at night is the blind spots. They know there's blind spots. And you wrote an amazing book under that title. You're about to release a new edition of that, but put your leader as teacher hat on. What are what's the Cliff Note version of that book? Because I want to put, I want everybody to put that on their summer reading list because it's so timely. But tell us about blind spots. Well, there, there are many of them, but the biggest one that we try to confront in the book was the blind spot between business leaders and IT leaders, right? There's, because it's a new profession, there is no language, right, that people can share. So there's a lot of complexity, and unfortunately, most leaders, IT leaders, take a complicated subject, which is, and make it more complicated. We want to explain to them how the engine works, right? So I've always taken the opposite. Let me abstract for the business leader because they don't need to worry about, right? Everything that goes on in IT, just like for finance, they don't need to worry about everything that's in FASB and GAP. They just need to know the P&L is made up of this. This is how it works. So the Blind Spot book was written around simple language that I've used over the years of why, what, how, who, and when. Everybody understands that. Do, why do anything is really driven by the market. Editors, the opportunities, they know, they understand that. That's what they do for a living at, at the leadership level. And all the consulting firms are very good at putting together market in strategies. The what is what should our business reaction be to that? You don't have to chase everything. So what would you do from a business model point of view? What capabilities would you need to add online, omni-channel, you know, supply, whatever it is, 
The next is how, and that's probably the most complex, but that's the technology. And I think the important thing in the how is based on the centricity of the data layer and the flexibility to loosely couple things so that you can change things at the pace of change without monolithically having to change things. The who is the organization. You're not getting this done without talent. You're not getting this done without leadership. And in fact, you're not getting it done without culture on the business side. So that's the the who. And the when is when I make the investment, when do I get the value out, right? What is the timeline for investment? Which now of the five, why, what, how, and who, there's only one that's a little complicated. Everything else is just normal business. So if you can get on that topic, now where I think most companies are, is the why has been solved. There is no question in people's mind that they've got to digitize, they've got to simplify, they've got to get, that. that's there. The what is showing up, the how is showing up, the constraints are the who and the when. We are in a serious war for talent that know how to build out these things and the retirement of people that know how to take the legacy apart is converging right now. This, that's why I say five to seven years, right? So that's a big topic. And then the other topic is the when, because there's so much need for investment and the value's got to come quickly, right? I mean, we just can't invest five years and hope something shows up. We got to deliver value along the way. Yeah, so good, Charlie. And it can be daunting for people, I think, with all that le- those decades of legacy, the complexity, all the noise, no time to think, all very relevant. One of the things you've been extremely good at, and you've helped advise companies on this, is the ability to get everybody on the same page. And I think we, we probably don't spend enough time there. And then keeping people on the same page. Can, can you speak to that in terms of how you think about that, how you approach that? Part of it is having a common language. But part of it is when we say everybody, everybody is usually key people. It's almost like a political campaign. You've got to find your friends and people that will be co-conspirators in this. So if you're trying to convince everybody, it's not going to work. If you try to convince the CEO, it's not going to work if the CFO and the CHRO and the CMO are not there. So you've got to lay out the campaign that's focused on the people that can really be allies and people that can understand because they're willing to take the time to share what they're trying to get done, why they're trying to get it done, and also to understand the people to their right and the people to their left, right? At a minimum, that's gonna take the finance organization. It may not be the CFO, but it may be somebody or two that influences the CFO and yeah. says, this is an important investment. It's also not going to get done without HR helping recruit, helping uh, retain and working in a world that has all of a sudden become virtual and very hard to keep talent in a world that is much more fungible. 
But there are, I've never been in a company. I've been in companies with 150,000 people. I've had as many as 60,000 people working for me, but I've never seen it be more than 25 or 30 people that can change the game. It's like a fulcrum, but you've got to zero in on them and be very, very targeted and take the time. And one of the things I worry about, Dan, I mean, I this is where all of the pluses of the virtual world are offset by the minuses of building relationships and having relationships and being able to find these 30 people and being able for them to have the time to go do it. But one or two or 10 people are not going to be enough to keep a journey going for a few years. And, And you really need to have some staying power. You can't just as people change, all 30 people are not going to change, two or three or five. But if you have a critical mass of change agents, you ought to be able to sustain years as opposed to months every time somebody changes. Well, you've proven it out. I've heard you tell the story from your early days, uh, free to lay. Your, yeah. C- your CEO gave you the marching order, right? It wasn't going to be your initiative. Yeah, uh, Wayne Calloway, who was uh, the CEO of PepsiCo, kept refusing to sign the handheld capital appropriation. And I couldn't figure out why, because he understood everything I was saying. I finally flew up to New York, got an hour with him and talked for 45 minutes with great passion. And in the last five minutes, he said, hey, I I get this. I got it when I first saw it because he used to run Frito-Lay. He said, but until you have the sales leadership and the operating people sitting on that couch with you, going through it as passionately as you are. I'm not signing anything because this is a business problem that has IT implications, but 90% of this is business. We got to change the way the sales force works, the way they get compensated, the way they get measured, right? You're not doing that. So I realized that IT can't row the boat by themselves. If you row it with one oar, you got to go in circles, you got to have a serious partner there. Now, most people have figured that out, but that was pretty novel to have that kind of relationship and ownership on the part of the business for an initiative. Incredible. These are just time tested. We still stub our toe on these things today, Charlie. I mean, you see it, I see it. And I just appreciate you sharing the story because those boulders are big and bigger pushing up the, up the hill. And I like that. Get, get them all on the, on the couch together. Charlie, we have another guest question from another individual who has, you've seen his career thrive. You've seen him be elevated to CIO. He's uh, one of the disciples of the Fell Group Institute, the the Leadership Institute that you run. And so let's listen in. And then again, like we did with Ken, tell us who this is. And he's got a pretty good question for you. This question is for Charlie Fell, who has been a mentor in my life for a number of years. Charlie talks a lot about the model. So maybe, Charlie, you can talk about the model that you utilize, but not only the models, but when you're done, how do you sell it? So you talk about having these two best friends, either the CHO and the CFO. How do you team up and give us some kind of tips and tricks on how to sell the vision of the models that are being created, the beachhead, and kind of walk us through some of that process? Because I know that's fundamental for not only talking about it, but then doing it. Thanks, Charlie. 
That was my good friend, Cisco Sanchez. He learned from Ken over the years, and he's now left FedEx and is at Qualcomm. So he's as the CIO of a company that is really exploding because they make the 5G chip, right? So they're at the leading edge of automotive and IoT and AI. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time for him. The idea of the models is really came about, it's kind of a framework of frameworks. It doesn't fight with COVID. It doesn't fight with BizBock or Idle or anything. It just is more of a, a leadership framework. And it's focused on the why, what, how, who, but it's kind of the business model, the business systems model, the technical model, the organization model the economic model and the operating model. And the key to the models is to keep them aligned, right? There are a lot of companies that get the desire to go do something, but then when it comes to funding it, they can't get the funds. Or if they could get the funds, they've got a headcount freeze going on, so you can't recruit people. So the trick in the models is to get it aligned, but the, the more important thing is this notion that Cisco brought up around selling the idea. We have a framework. Part of the framework is kind of a story, a deal, and a plan, right? You don't try to build a plan and spend years building it out and then go in and unveil it. You start with a story, Right. And it's almost like, you know, in Steven Spielberg, a storyboards. And if you can tell the story about why customer, the experience will be uh, changed if you implement gate and boarding or the salesman experience or, you know, and put it in good English terms, right? You could put together a very good story in 90 days. You don't want to try to go to a deal until somebody buys the story. The deal now, you got to grind at that because now you got to show the value and the sequencing and the investment it takes. And that's going to take you six, nine months to get through that and get a deal which says, you give me this, I give you that. You give me X amount of millions or hundreds of millions and I'll give you Y amount of value, right? And here's the sequence. Once that is agreed to, that's a board level thing. So within a year, you could have that through the story, through the deal. You may take three or four iterations of the story. But then when you get it, it's like designing a house. You don't want to get the electricians and everybody in until you get the floor plan and the elevation. And then you get into taking the you know plan and taking the deal and breaking it down into six, nine, 12-month, 18-month increments that could be funded and so forth. So the art of selling combined with who you're selling to, this is where the 30 game changers intersect the story deal plan, right? And that's the process as opposed to just a long list of projects. And you get on the other side of it by creating that and selling it. And you can't be discouraged because... You may not do it the first time, but what you can do, and I call it the inside game and the outside game. So as a CIO, I've got two games. I got what the business needs to be successful. That's the outside game. That's marketing, 
you know, business leaders out. But then there's an inside game, right? Which is our own productivity. There's nothing that prevents you from getting our house in order, you know, consolidating, retiring systems, you know, moving to the cloud, building out DevOps, hiring talent, keeping talent. Because if you don't do those things at the same time, somebody will say yes to the deal and you're sitting there and you don't have the talent or the factory to go build it. It's almost like you hope they don't say yes right away. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But you should keep the hammer down on your inside game, which is all around organization, talent, culture, the operating model, planning, building, running from demand shaping all the way through a smooth factory model that's efficiently run. We call it the Autobahn usually, which is, you know, you can go 100 miles an hour on a road if it's built to go 100 miles an hour and still do security and still do compliance, only you're automating it. And that's the whole DevSecOps. And I mean, the tools are very rich and everything else. So I would advise people to initially launch both, but don't be disappointed if you don't sell the business side of it in the first round, but keep the hammer down on the stuff that you have control over. So when it does come together, you can, you, you can stun people with your ability to deliver. And, and folks can do this, right? Charlie, I mean, you've seen this, you've yeah. seen good, like, like put your inner Steven Spielberg on and create the story, the narrative. Yeah, I mean, a good CIO is a good storyteller. A good IT leader is a good storyteller. Yeah. And that gets to the imagination. Most of us have grown up with engineering skills, and that's how we got trained, and that's why we rose to these jobs. We need to get business training and business skill. We need to understand how a company works and makes money. But we also need to get the ability to imagine and sell our ideas. When you talk about developing people, you got to lean into what you're not good at. Mm. People like to hang out with what they're good at because that's their comfort zone. So if I'm good technically, I'll just keep hammering on that. Others come into the CIO role and they're very good at business because they came from the business side or they just have a knack for it but they may be a little light in the technical side of it. So don't be afraid of it. Lean into it, but make sure you're finding people that understand this stuff that could do the work. So as you look at business skills, technical skills, and selling skills or imagining skills, play to your weakness. Really good people like Rob Carter are pretty centered across all of it, right? I mean, the top tier players have a good balance of all of it. Nobody is perfect, but that's where you try to strive when you're helping people grow. Yeah. Rob Carter, FedEx, what a legend, you know, what a story he's written and uh, hall of fame. And thanks to Cisco Sanchez and good luck to him at, at Qualcomm. Uh, keep an eye on him and that company. There's going to be some exciting things there. And just a quick sidebar, Charlie, Cisco, I caught Cisco at a really bad time. He was on his way to India <laughs> and he literally stopped himself in the hallway and recorded the question because it was so important to him to uh, to honor you in this way. So uh, thank you to Cisco. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Charlie, a couple of last questions and we'll wrap up this uh, this episode. But 2008, you talk about that as being a pivotal moment. What what changed? You know, if you go back to the early 80s when I first got this Moore's Law and we were talking about, you know, the doubling, doubling, doubling. And if you look at the doubling, and, and Rob Carter does a really great job of explaining this, but if you took a penny and you doubled it every day for 30 days, it would be worth $5 million. It's stunning to people. And, you know, there's a lot of stories about if you offered somebody a million dollars or a penny for 30 days, they'd take the million dollars and they'd be four million short. Right. If you understood that pattern, which I, I did, I was fortunate I did, you could have pretty much nailed that in 2008 or so, right, that that penny would be worth $650,000, which is what it needs to put something into an iPhone. Now, that's when things started really changing and where you could do video streaming, you could do, so that started the Netflix. All these things couldn't have possibly happened before that time, but if you paid attention, you'd know what was coming. Now, the interesting part about that doubling, right, is if it doubles every 18 months, by 2022, it would have doubled a few more times. So six, 600,000, 700,000 would become 1.4, would be, by 30 days, it'd be 5 million, which is kind of where we're sitting now. But next year, the five will be 10. The following year, 10 will be 20. We are at the point where the embedded nature of all of this stuff. So all of this is predictable if people were paying attention to the pattern. Now, that's, that's the issue that people have to deal with. Because if you were starting from scratch today, I could build just about anything I could imagine. Embedded technology, AI cloud, endless networks. I mean, it's just incredible, right? Because of this doubling effect. That's why when you look at the chips in the car and what it's going to be able to do in terms of cameras and keep you on the middle of the road, and you look at IoT devices and you look at, you know, what's possible in a supermarket, what's possible in a Frito-Lay or a Pepsi-Cola that, that might know everything that's moving off the shelf instantaneously, that's where you get into, you know, the, the power of now, right? That's when you get into this true agility, which is the ability to sense and respond in the moment. I was with a few airline pilots. I won't tell you what airline it was, but they were standing at the Uber line. I was just next to them. They didn't know who I was. And they're saying to one another, how could Uber know that, the car is two minutes away. Here's the license plate number. Here's the rating on the on the person. And here's how long it's going to take. And this is what it's going to cost me. Right? And we don't know where the planes are. You got to be kidding. Me. <laughs> right? And that's the problem. New companies that start out in a greenfield versus companies that are have built 40, 50 years. So now's the time, and that's why there, there are no more mulligans. It has to do with the possibilities are endless now in medicine, in retail, in banking, in, in, in every industry. Uh, and COVID accelerated it. 
we are in a connected world. And if you can't connect in and watch products flow and have dynamic pricing and dynamic routing and have the AI engine decide where things are going tied to the uh, transaction systems, you, you can't win in the future. And I thought there was a decade, but COVID made it be five years in my mind. Wow. Wow. Charlie, so many uh, great nuggets. When we pick up the next episode, I'd love to dive into this idea of patterns because you've been a master at that. I'd like to go deeper on that. I want to go into your philosophy around agility being the only strategy, and you've got different ways of thinking about agility. And also, you talk about the next five years being the most chaotic, and I want to help our audience prepare for that as best we can, and nobody better than you to help them with that. But Thank you again, and we will see you in episode two here very shortly. Thanks so much, Charlie. Okay, it was fun. Thank you. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.